You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today we are talking NBA Finals, sort of. Pacers are not in the Finals, but I want to relate this to the Pacers. So while the Warriors and Celtics play, Game 1 is happening as I speak right now. It is 73-64 Golden State. I want to talk about what the Pacers can learn from these two teams, both how they were built and how they play. And look, in the NBA, it's never a copy-paste system. You can't just say, oh, that team's having success, so we can too, doing a certain thing or being built a certain way. But there are principles and and strategies that can be gained from these teams that any team can at least attempt to emulate within their own system that I think are valuable for any teams. We'll talk about those for the Pacers today. We'll start off with how these two teams play, and then we'll go to how they were built. And then at the end, Robert Ori, uh, many-time NBA champion, was on our Lockdown Sports Today podcast talking about the finals. So we're going to throw his segment in there for 12 minutes. You get to hear from Robert Ori today. But let's talk about what the Pacers can learn from the way these two teams play. Uh, the Warriors and Celtics. And the, the the standout thing, and I think this narrative that has dominated is absolutely worth discussing, is if you sort every team in the NBA by defensive rating in the regular season, the best defense in the league at a 106.2 defensive rating was the Boston Celtics. And the second best defense in the NBA this season at a 106.6 defensive rating was the Golden State Warriors. Oh, by the way, the third best defensive rating was the Suns. The fourth best was the Heat. The sixth best was the Grizzlies. And the seventh best was the Mavs. It sure seems like defense has become madly, massively important, and it always has been. But in you know now, right now, especially in the NBA, when there's not as dominant of a super team as there has been basically for the last, de- basically since the Heatles started. You know, the last couple seasons we've seen those teams kind of fade away a little bit. You know, it, defense has become more important. You can't try to outscore those teams. You can actually ch- attempt to stop teams now. So the Bucks and Sixers were the only two of the final eight teams in the league this year that weren't top 10 in defensive rating in the regular season. The Bucks were actually the worst, surprisingly, defensive team of that bunch at 111.1. The Pacers' defensive rating was over 115 this season. And I think that a lot of the Pacers' growth principles and learning from these good teams is they have to get better on the defensive end of the floor, and especially stopping wings. You know, these teams, Golden State and 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 Boston, they are really good at, you know, they have a lot of like-sized guys that can switch and can stop these, you know, monstrous wings. And I don't mean stop as in shut down or completely neuter, but slow them down, make it difficult, make them have to change the way they play or alter their strategy to beat you. I think that's really meaningful. You know, the, the Celtics especially, they've been doing this for a while, and obviously this is the farthest they made it, but they made the conference finals three out of four years from 16-17 to 19-20 because they had this team and a lot of their core still around of, you know, Tatum's involved, Brown's involved, uh, Horford was involved before and now again, uh, Robert Williams is involved now, wasn't in the past but is now. Um, you know, Josh Richardson was on the team for a, a hot second there. Uh, Marcus Smart, obviously, uh, a member of this team. Like They had a lot of guys who are the same size and can switch. And the Warriors, you know, obviously Curry is a little bit of a weak link on them for defense, but between Wiggins and Clay and Draymond and Otto Porter and Andre Iguodala and Gary Payton and even Kuminga at times, you know, part of their scheme is they have these guys who can defend the ball pretty well and be uh, at least, again, 
deterrences, I'll say, on the defensive end. But they can switch a lot more. And the Pacers tried to switch, but they did not have as many leg-sized guys this season. They don't have the wing bodies to slow that down. So that's one area they can certainly excel, uh, or the Pacers can look to grow, is chase more defensive success. And they tried to this season. And you look at what their offseason off was, you know, Duarte looks like he will at least be sort of a wing stopper. He'll probably be a little too small always, but at least he'll be a deterrent. They brought in Torrey Craig. They kept Justin Holiday around. Like, it looked like for a little bit that the Pacers were going to try to, you know, be better at this thing that has obviously killed them for years and years. But, you know, Torrey Craig couldn't couldn't patch up their scheme. Justin Holiday took a step back. Duarte was still a rookie. Bada bing, bada boom. The season ends. They did not have enough answers on that end of the floor. Right, Brogdon was defending guards too much to ever really have an impact there. Brissett's not quite there. You know, the Pacers need more dudes who can defend in that way. And the Celtics and Warriors have a bunch of them. And that even though they have some weak links on both teams defensively, they got to first and second in the NBA in defense for a reason. And that is a big part of why they both reached the finals is they can stop other teams, right? They did a good job on the Golden State side of slowing down Dallas in the conference finals. Obviously, you know, the Heat struggled to score a lot of games this postseason, but the Celtics did a good job slowing them down as well. So full credit to both of these teams. Defense was big for them, and I think that will be another huge trend to watch going forward is does defense continue to dominate? The Bucks had a great defense, and the Suns had a great defense last year. For example, the second thing, this is another obvious thing for a lot of good teams. They were both top 10 in true shooting percentage, efficiency in general. Not necessarily top 10 in percentage of shots they made, although both of these teams can put the ball in the basket fairly easily. Like the Warriors, I think, were exactly 10th in field goal percentage. And the Celtics were actually 15th in field goal percentage this season. But they were still top 10 in true shooting percentage and were efficient because of the way that they score, right? The Celtics... For example, second in the NBA in free throw percentage and top 10 in three-point attempts and above average three-point shooting. So the way they finish plays, even though it's not necessarily you know a top 10 field goal percentage team, they finish plays with efficient shots a lot of the time. They have guys who can get all the way to the rim. They have guys who can draw fouls. They have good creators with passes to open up space. And they have good free throw shooters. And I think that ended up having a ton of value for them. Golden State, again, 10th in field goal percentage, but everybody knows that a big part of their dynasty was kind of reinventing the three ball third and three point attempts per game this season, eighth in percentage. And they were also, you know, they were not as strong at getting to the line, but because they were so good at the three ball and because Steph has so much gravity, they were also third and two point percentage, really good team at the rim. So both of these teams were electric in true shooting percentage. Uh, the Warriors finished fourth and the Celtics finished ninth. And I think that was a big factor again in both of these teams being so solid this season is you have to have an efficient offense in general. It doesn't have to be so good, but it has to, you know, it shows that the way they finished plays mattered when they were both 10th and worse in field goal percentage, but still so strong in the true shooting department. They find ways to generate efficient offense. So from the Pacers side, you know, how can they get to being that sort of team? They were 17th in field goal percentage. The Pacers were, but their true shooting obviously was not, you know, as strong uh, as D2's teams, the Pacers finished, excuse me, I did not sort correctly when I just clicked. The Pacers finished 20th in true shooting percentage this season, partially because they were 25th in three-point percentage, partially because they weren't amazing at drawing fouls. You know, they, they weren't a mid-range team at all. Carlisle's teams will never be, but they just weren't quite good enough at any one spot between the free throws, the threes, the layups, things like that. I think getting better, especially I think threes can be a thing they get better at with Halliburton and Buddy Heald at least right now, around. So that's another way they can kind of chase these teams in terms of impact. This one I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, if you look at, at the Warriors and the Celtics in the regular season, uh, in pace, 
the uh, the Golden State Warriors finished the season 16th in pace at 98.74 possessions. Uh, and the Boston Celtics finished 24th, right? So slower seems to benefit these teams, right? Methodical. Run your sets. Find good shots. But let's also talk about the Mavericks, conference finalists, dead last in pace. The Miami Heat, conference finalists, 28th in pace. The 76ers, conference semifinalists, 26th in pace, right? It, this trend seems to be... In general, that slower teams did have some success this season. The Bucks, however, were third in pace. The Grizzlies were fourth. There was some successful teams in terms of pace, but it seems like being kind of, you know, the 10 to 20, 25 range is where a lot of the more elite teams got in pace. There was not too fast. There wasn't a reliance on going early, and there wasn't, you know, getting so blown up that everything was so slow. Now, the Mavs were really slow, and the Heat were really slow. Uh, but, you know, in general, it seems like slower is the way to go. And the Pacers were 18th in pace. They're kind of on that line now. They uh, they do have an electric transition threat in Halliburton. But I do think Halliburton and his ability to read the game does a good job of, you know, taking their time getting to the right shots. I think that's something that they are actually in line with current NBA trends in terms of the speed of play that they are pursuing right now. The last thing I want to talk about here, heliocentrism is a, a new buzzword about, about how teams are built or how teams work in the NBA really – Built around a star, their play style is all around one star, especially on the offensive side. And I would say the Warriors and Celtics are only kind of heliocentric. The Warriors, for example, were second in the NBA this season in passes made per game. 310.3, right? That's a ton of passes. The Celtics, uh, it looks like we're 12th at 289 per game. So while these teams uh, both obviously pass the ball a lot, you know, they are and have good stars. They did a good job of balancing those two things. Like Tatum could be a takeover guy at any time. Jason Tatum is awesome. Steph Curry is obviously one of the best players of all time, um, but they still did a good job of balancing those two things, not just hammering the things through Tatum. And the Celtics had it a little easier because they have, you know, Brown who can handle it too, although, you know, his handle's loose. He can still kind of play make. Marcus Smart's a decent playmaker. They had Schroeder before the trade deadline this season, but you know, they had other guys who could attack, but they do a good job of not just over-relying on their one guy in a way that you know Dallas, for example, kind of over-relies on Luka. I think if they had one more guy, that would help them a lot because the Warriors are brilliant at, you know, obviously Steph is amazing, but he's off-ball a lot. Quite frankly, his, his highest-level skill is just running around like a crazy person to create these threes and create a panic for a defense while you know, Jordan Poole or Draymond or whoever has the ball has the ball. Uh, and he has the ball himself all the time. He's a brilliant basketball player. But, you know, th- both of these teams are not as heliocentric as some of, you know, like the Bucks were. And they, Chris Middleton was hurt, but like the Bucks were or like the Philly was before they got Harden, even at times with Harden or the Mavs. You know, I think they do a good job of having a little bit more balance. And I think that is if you're the Pacers, you know, obviously you don't have a guy who's worthy of heliocentrism. But making sure that, you know, even if Halliburton becomes an all-star level player, he's still able to chase the perfect amount of balance between being a star and running the offense the correct way will be important for the Pacers going forward. Let's talk about how these teams were built, which is equally important for the Pacers now that they just won 25 games, the third lowest in franchise history. They have a more of a clean slate to build. Can they copy or learn anything from these two teams still playing before we talk about that, guys? I want to talk to you about Bilt Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. I've tried so many flavors of Bilt Bar, and I loved all of them. So what are they? They are 100% covered in chocolate, soft, easy to chew, delicious protein bars. And they come in so many flavors, but all the flavors taste like the, or the texture is like the flavor, right? Like the ones with nuts in them are crunchier. The fruitier ones are a little smoother. You know, they're just, 
they're just delicious. Most of the protein bars you get in the store are you know, chalky or rubbery or just don't taste very good. Built Bars are delicious. They have a new granola bar as well. A bunch of unbelievable flavors there. And most of these granola bars that they are now selling have 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar. So Built Bars, healthy, delicious, great meal replacement, great snack. However you want to eat it, it's perfect for you. And you got to try them. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 when you're checking out. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thanks again, everyone, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Before we talk about how the Warriors and Celtics were built and constructed and how they built a team that was able to reach these finals, kind of ask you guys a quick favor. We put together a survey to learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast better. It's your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On shows and me. Go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long. And everyone that completes a survey... And qualify for a chance to win one of ten $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. Take the audience survey, lockedonpodcast.com slash survey. Thanks in advance for your help. Warriors now have 88-76. I'm enjoying chronicling my viewing adventure while I talk about the Pacers here. So how are these teams built? And I think this is the, the most of this case finals that we've had in a while where the draft dominated the structure of building for these teams. You know, in the past, the Suns, for example, obviously they drafted Booker and Aiden. They also traded a huge trade. They got Chris Paul in the door, right? On the Bucks side, you know, they drafted Middle or they actually they traded for Middleton, but he was super young at the time. They drafted Giannis, they traded for Drew, they traded for Brooke Lopez. It was a lot more different, those two teams, than this year. The Warriors drafted five of their top seven guys in minutes played this season. They drafted Steph. They drafted Poole, they drafted Clay, they drafted Draymond, and they drafted Looney. Those are hits everywhere. Looney especially is an interesting one because I don't think they, that there was any thought that he would be this important to a playoff team, but here we are. Guess how many of the top seven Celtics guys in minutes this season the Celtics drafted? The answer is also five. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Oh, I'm not on per game. Excuse me. Uh, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams, right? The draft is so key, and I think that's known. Uh, you know, a lot of in these series, like key drafted players, obviously Luca for the Mavs, Bam and Hero on the Heat side, right? The high picks you get that become the All Stars, getting those guys on rookie contracts and growing them in their system, I think is also important. You know, Wiggins was a really high draft pick for a different team, but he grew into a core with the Warriors. I, like that growing and being together for a long time is also part of these teams. But the and I'll talk about that in a second. But the draft was a huge part of the construction of these teams. Five of their top seven were drafted. So think about the Pacers. For example, let's just pretend all these guys hit their high end outcomes, and it's Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers top guys, and Turner. And then that's that's four. So they're kind of one or two away still from, you know, hitting the having a core that they drafted, at least high in those guys' cases, and can stick together and grow into that title team. And they still need the alpha. It's no secret that a big part of the way these teams are built is one of them drafted Steph Curry and one of them drafted Jason Tatum. But you know, in terms of the construction, there are still key guys on both teams that were drafted either not really high or not alphas that are still important, like Poole, like Looney on the Warriors side, or like Grant and Robert Williams on the Celtics side, you know, like Marcus Smart, for example. You still need those level of players who are really key in your playoff rotations. And so the Pacers, I think, are one or two 
really strong draft picks away from having the core of picks on their team, depending on where Turner fits into this equation. So I'm saying one or two it, it, from getting to where these teams are at in terms of having you know a really strong drafted core of guys that you know you were willing to give second contracts to that can grow together. And I think that part of this is really fascinating. Both of these teams' cores grew together for a long time, right? You know, through the Isaiah Thomas era, as Jason Tatum gets better through the Kyrie era and now to now. Or in Golden State side, obviously, theirs is a lot longer because they made the finals for the first time you know, seven years ago now, which is crazy to think about. But growing with the Curry, Clay, Draymond era, weaving through the David Lee stuff to Draymond, getting KD in and out. And they've had other drafts in between and two terrible seasons between their finals appearance and now. But I think it's fascinating that these cores have stuck together and grown together for better and for worse in, in some cases. And I think that's really interesting, both in terms of the fact that it helped these teams get to here. You know, they learned what they needed in terms of fitting pieces around the best part of their teams. But also, I think this is really interesting for the Pacers who were terrible in attendance last year. Like the Celtics and Warriors are really popular in their cities. Obviously, they're good. That's a big factor. But also because they have these players who have been around the team for a long time that have attachment to the city, that have attachment to each other. It just becomes a likable team. And I think that that is a really fascinating part of attendance is, you know, obviously if you stink, you don't want to just keep beating your head <laughs> into with the same wall over and over again. But, you know, having a likable, popular team like this, I think is so important to, to that sort of popularity. Celtics were top five in attendance this season. Warriors were 11th in terms of average number of people. That is not the percentage of arena field. I think they're both even higher if you sort by the percentages. Uh, yeah, Warriors were second in percentage and Celtics were sixth, right? So I think but beyond, you know, I'm, I'm kind of beating this silly point to death, but I do think it's fascinating in terms of popularity in their market, how important it can be to have a team that grows together. So if you're the Pacers now, and you nail the sixth pick in a rosy scenario, that's both key for growing your team to being as good as possible as these teams are built through the draft, but also getting your fan base attached to a core of Duarte, Halliburton, maybe Isaiah Jackson, maybe a bunch of other guys, and the pick you have this year. So I think that is really important and interesting. Um, you know, And imagine here, kind of like that, with the cores growing together too, right? Like Luca and these players outside of the Porzingis trade they made have all been together for a few years, the Heat. You know, Jimmy Butler's only been there three years now, but they've kind of grown together as a core, which I think is really, really fascinating. In this instance, something the Pacers need to copy. <laughs> I think I've said this on every What Can the Pacers Learn from Finals Team shows for years and years and years now. Wings! Wings, wings, wings. Jason Tatum's a wing. Marcus Smart's a wing-sized player. Jalen Brown is a wing. You know, Grant Williams is a wing-sized player. Derek White, they acquired a wing hybrid guard, hybrid whatever. You know, the Celtics don't have a lot of wings, but they have a lot of guys who can play wing and are wing-sized on their roster. The Warriors have Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson and Otto Porter and Andre Iguodala and Gary Payton II and even Kuminga in the regular season. Wings, I talked about this in the first segment too with defense. Wings are a big part of team construction in the modern NBA, and the Pacers need more of them. They have needed more of them for a long time, but they become even more valuable in the playoffs when you can be a versatile wing who can play multiple positions that allows you to get more lineups in the game, that allows you to change the way you play, that allows you to change the skills you have on the floor. It's just very, very important. The last thing here, this relates to what I talked about earlier with the defense. Each team really only has one between each team, excuse me, not to, not in total, but between each team, I think there's only one truly terrible defender in the rotation for each team this series, and that's Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is a good player. He can really light up the scoring, although he's not playing particularly well in the ongoing basketball game, you know, but 
of the guys playing, right? Steph's like an average defender. I'm a little higher on his defense than most. Looney's a good, strong defender. Wiggins has been a great defender in the playoffs. Draymond Green is one of the best defenders ever. Clay's a good defender. Otto Porter's a fine defender. Iguodal's a good defender, right, for Golden State. On the Celtics side, Robert Williams, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Smart, Horford, all good defenders. Derek White, Grant Williams, good defenders. Daniel Tice is fine for a mobile big. Peyton Pritchard also is fine. Jordan Poole is the only bad negative defender in this series. So even beyond just having guys at the right positions and having good schemes and stuff, it's so hard to be an elite team if you have multiple bad defenders. The Pacers had sometimes entire lineups of bad defenders this past season. So if they're going to copy these teams' construction, adding more defense and defensive players is key. Last thing on today, talking finals, we're going to drift away from the Pacers a little bit because Robert Ori stopped by the Locked On Studios, right? The Locked On Sports Today podcast, a newer podcast from the Locked On Podcast Network. Robert Ori was there to talk finals. So let's just do that. Let's just have Robert Ori talk about this finals because why not learn more about the finals and who's winning the championship from a guy who has won more championships than any player. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Locked On NBA Big Board. Learn more about all the draft prospects that the Pacers may pursue in this draft from our draft experts here at the Locked On Podcast Network. So, yes, Peter Burkowski, our host of Locked On Sports Today, had Robert Ori, many-time NBA champion, on to discuss the NBA Finals. It's an awesome segment. I think you guys will love hearing what Robert Ori has to say about this series. So, to close out today, let's hear some Warrior Celtics talk from none other than NBA legend Robert Ori. The Golden State Warriors are minus 150, the favorites in the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. Joining me now, Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champion, is here courtesy of Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for all the up-to-date lines on the NBA Finals, Finals MVP, Finals props, and each and every game line. This is great to have you here. Why do you think, because the line has moved a little bit in, in the Celtics' favor, why do you think... There are people that like the Celtics matchup against the Warriors. Because the smart people know defense wins championships. Mm. And if you look at the Celtics team, they got two players on that team that made the all-defensive team. You know, smart, of course, defensive player of the year. But Robert Williams is one of those guys that is an eraser. He can block shots. He can, you know, you know, he can erase a lot of mistakes that you make on the perimeter. And you think about it, you got Brown, Tatum, and Smart who can get up on people defensively and funnel them to that guy. Next thing you know, it's getting blocked. And if you look at the way, you know, Harford has been playing, he's turned back the hands of time. He's blocking <laughs> shots again. So if you, overall, I think that the, the, the Celtics is a better defensive team than the Warriors because even though you have Draymond Green, Green Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson of old who can do the things he used to be able to do. And, and, and so I just think that's, that's a big key for them, for the Celtics, that is. How do you see defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, matching up with, with Steph Curry? Is that going to be something where you see that Marcus is going to pick him up 94 feet? Like, how do you think Smart is going to approach that assignment if he does get that assignment, which we assume he's going to? But you know what? I don't think it's going to be a one-man job. If you look at the Celtics, they one, two, three are all athletic guys. And you go to the two, Jalen, and go to the Tatum, they get taller. You know, it's like, yeah. like the bars on the cell phone. And I think even, even though they like to do a lot of switching, I think they're, they're, they're perfect for this matchup. It's a perfect matchup for, for the Celtics and when they got the guard. And because, you know, Clay is going to be constant moving. And so, so, you know, not the same as a Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero, but I think this, what they just did against the Heat, is like a, a, a prelude to a preclude to what they're going to do. And so 
I think they're going to be fine defensively switching and getting ready for Steph. It sounds like you like the Celtics in this one. You know, all my Laker fans are going to be mad at me because they said you cannot <laughs> wear anything green. You can never root for the Celtics. I'm not rooting for the Celtics. You know, I, I would like to see my former teammate, Emil Duco, win his first championship. You know, so I would like for that to happen. But, you know, I just think being the basketball mindset, I just think that there, there's a good chance the Celtics could win this thing. All right. So we have some odds here. Celtics in six is plus 375. Celtics in seven is plus 650. If people are going to bet on it, what is what is your prediction if you like Boston? Six, seven? Hey, you know what? If you, you try to make some money, right? <laughs> that's why you that's why you gamble. And so I would go with the Celtics in seven because I think the Celtics have been a battle-tested team on the road. They've won a lot of games on the road. They just won the Eastern Conference on the road. And so I think they're ready. I'm not saying everybody will say, well, the, you know, the Heat is a different monster than, you know, the Warriors and blah, blah, blah. But I still think it all boils down to having confidence and playing well on the road and, and believing that you can win on the road. There has also been this discussion now, especially among Celtics fans, about what this Celtics team has had to face, what, particularly who had Jason Tatum has had to face. Kevin Durant in the first round, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the second round, Jimmy Butler on a heater, no pun intended, for Miami. And now... Steph Curry, you're talking about at least three Pantheon guys, guys who are all-time great players. Who do you think has the most on the line legacy-wise in this series? For whom would that one title, you won seven, who would that one title mean the most for? You know, I'm going to go off script a little bit, and and I'm going to stop people from thinking this is going to be the greatest run ever by the Celtics. That's not true, because you got Hornacek, Carmelo, you got Kevin Johnson, Charles Barkley. You got Dennis Rodman, uh, MVP, David Robinson. You got Shaquille and Penny. Now, that is the greatest run in, back in 95. So when people say this might be the greatest run, stop it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because all these teams was 50, you know, 55, 50-plus 50 win teams. And so I just think if you, if you look at this game and you have to pick an MVP, you know, of course, it's, it's going to be it Tatum. But this run that the Celtics are on is incredible. You know, don't get me wrong because they've been able to win on the road, which is key because you have to run on the road in order to win championship. That's if, unless you have home court advantage, you protect your home court. But I just think overall, when you look at the makeup of these two teams, they're similar. You know, go to state wars. They were the Celtics six, seven years ago when they first entered the playoffs and nobody thought they could win a championship. Next thing you know, they win a championship. Then the following season, they win all these games and don't win a championship, and then they get KD, and they win two more. But I think if you look at the Celtics, there are so there are so many similarities with these teams that people are always going to say, oh, let's go with the veteran leadership. Let's go with the fan favorite and Steph. You know, let's think, let's think about it, because everybody wants Steph to win because we know he got robbed one time with the MVP in the finals, and then he's take, he took a step back and let KD come in to his team, which is Steph team, and take two MVPs. And so I, 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 I do think Steph has a lot to prove, and his legacy is on the line when it comes to this because, you know, all the chatter now is about him not having an MVP in the finals, which we all know he was robbed of one, so let's, let's be real about that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at these MVP odds as you're talking about the MVP and, and we expect Curry and Tatum right at the top in terms of the odds. You're not getting really good value there. I'm looking at Jalen Brown, 10 to one. Yeah. I'm looking at 
Draymond, 22 to one. Like if he really turned it up defensively, people forget in that game seven against the Cavs, he had a triple double in that game. He was the best warrior on the floor in that game. I'm looking at Marcus Smart at 40 to one. It seems like you're, you can get some good value. And we've seen, including in this Warriors run, that it's not always the stars who win these finals MVPs. It's true. You know, for me, if if I wanted to take the odds, I'm, I'm going to eliminate the top three automatically. And I don't, I don't think Clay is, you know, you know, Clay is a game five, game six type of player. But me, I would go with Andrew Wiggins. If I had to mm. pick someone with the odds, I would go with Andrew Wiggins, who is 20 to one. And think about it, he has started to come into his own. Yeah. He after that dunk on, <laughs> on Luca, all of a sudden this dude is smiling big. He's He's enthusiastic. He's playing hard and he's an all-star. You know, I think some people forget he was an all-star. I think this is a good way in the biggest stage to show everybody that the all-star committee didn't make a mistake. So if I had to take all the, because I don't think Draymond Green, he don't shoot, he doesn't shoot enough and he's going to have to guard too many people. So he's going to be all over the board that. So if you look down that list of people and you want to say odds maker, for me, I would take Andrew Wiggins 20 to one. That is, I, I mean, that, that's bold. I love it. Uh, I think you're right that that he he seems to be a different player. Just in the Warriors, just in Golden State, he seems to have been unlocked a little bit, whether that's Steve Kerr, whether that's just him feeling more comfortable. We're talking about legacy. And you have been on some teams that have gone on these multi-year runs that have been what we, we might consider dynastic, right? There have been some discussions here. If the Warriors win one, that because it's the Clay, Steph, Draymond core with Steve Kerr, that this has to be considered part of the Warriors run and that we have to call them a dynastic team. Where do you fall on that discussion? If they win one, are they a dynasty? You know what? It's, it's, I will put them in that category as a dynasty. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you, because they was riddled with injuries right? For two years, Clay was out and Steph went out. You know, you, you say, okay, we'll give them, we'll give them a Phil Jackson asterisk by those two years. But if they were to get back to the mountaintop and win this year, I, I would put them, you know, you got one more step to be a dynasty. And then if they go to the finals again, then I would give them a dynasty. But, you know, think about this. They gave us a dynasty in the Lakers. We won three in a row. And next thing you know, they dismantle the team. They go back and lose. It's considered a dynasty. So, you know, if you, to me, there's only been, you know, three dynasties in this Bulls, the Celtics and the Lakers because they're a situation where they went six plus championships. You know, I, I, that's what you look at, but in this day, in this era, you can give them a dynasty. I think, I think you, I, I, I would, I would consider the Spurs, the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich Spurs in that mix, but they never won back-to-back titles. And so it depends on how you want to qualify it. Sustained yeah. success, not always enough. I, I think if you're a Boston fan, you're going, why can't we have that sustained run? We've got these two young superstars, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, who's coming into his own a little bit defensively. It seems like they've unlocked some things with him as their pure point guard in initiating offense because he doesn't have to create for everyone. They've got Tatum and Brown who can create for themselves. I mean, this, what what do you think the chances are that they could be, not the next dynasty, but the next team that you have to deal with in the Eastern Conference? Like, okay, they're going to be there every year until further notice. You know, I, I think you look down that line and you says, okay, Tatum, first team, max, Brown, max, smart, max. These are super max contracts these guys yeah, potentially can get. So right. now, we're, you know, if you since I covered the Lakers, the Lakers got 
$40 million guys, three forty million guys. They can't get nobody else on the team unless they do some hell of a drafting, you know, and, and they get those guys that's going to be there. But it boils down to payday, man. If you're going to stick around and get paid or you're going to have that one falter and say, oh, you know, we didn't win a championship. We need to make a move because, you know, they exported us in this area. We need to get someone in. And they trade one of those guys. You know, people do dumb things like that. Well, GMs, I should say. So I think they have the potential to make a long run. This is going to have to stick together and do what a Tim Duncan would do and say, you know, what, I'm going to take less money. So you can sign a Tony Parker, you sign a Manu Ginobili. But are these guys now, you know, Selfless enough with it say, hey, you know what? I don't want to make 40 million. I make 30 million. You know, I, I don't think so. I think every now, every guy now is trying to get their bag so they can say, you know what? At one point in my career, I was making 50, 40 million, whatever it may be. So I don't, that's going to be the key though. It boils down to money if they can keep that team together. All right. Not a finals question, but I can't talk to Big Shot Bob and not ask you this question. Which of your big shots is your favorite? You know, um, I grew up a Lakers fan, a huge Magic Johnson fan. And one of my biggest thrills before I even made to the NBA, I got to play one-on-one with Magic when I was being scouted by the Lakers coming out of college, coming out of University of Alabama. So the shot I made against the Sacramento Kings in 2001 to win that game is probably my favorite. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love what I did in Houston. I love what I did in San Antonio. But Everything I did in, in San Antonio was on the road, game five on the road. But this was at home in Staples Center. And the ego comes into play where you want to hear that crowd chant your name, man. And you run off the court and the crowd still chanting your name. You're in the locker room. You can still hear them chanting your name. So I think that shot, it, 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 it takes over all the other shots just for the ego. You know, we are all as athletes got some type of ego. And I think for me, that just takes over because I had the Laker fan chanting my name. They weren't chanting Shaq. They weren't chanting Kobe. They were chanting Ori. So that's a big plus for me. 